Hi, I'm Brian Horn, editor of Law and Landscape Magazine. Um, today I'm speaking with Andrew Bray, Vice President of Government Affairs with the National Association of Landscape Professionals for our monthly podcast, or try to be monthly, um, on government affairs and politics and how it plays into the landscaping and lawn care industry. Andrew, thanks for joining me. Hey, it's good to be here again. Thanks for having me. Sure, and, and last time we had talked, it was a different different time of year. It was pre-election. Um, now we are post-election, and it seemed like expectations were Republicans were going to do very well. Um, they did okay, but not as well as they, they thought. Um, so what do the results mean for the industry? Um, it's kind of a mixed bag. I think I said before, before the election that there's pluses and minuses one way or the other, uh, whether Republican or Democrat, and I'm sure we'll dive into to those scenarios here in a moment. But I think the biggest surprise here was that we were expecting this massive red wave. And and that typically is what the historical trend would be almost in any sort of midterm election against the sitting president, the party of the sitting president. Um, and I just think there were some very interesting dynamics out there. A lot of stuff that doesn't have much to do with our industry, but more related to social issues, candidate quality and, and some other external factors that clearly had an influence on the election. Not to mention from an exit polling perspective, the women always vote in, in larger numbers than men. But this one, there was a significant gap. And in your you know, expertise or just from your profession, what what are the main reasons for for that? Yeah, I think that in this case, it's always it goes back to the famous line of James Carville, you know, who ran Bill Clinton's campaign. It's the economy, stupid. And and I think that there was a little bit of relaxation within the Republican Party and also momentum from polls. And haven't we all learned at this point that polls are off because the polls right. were showing the Republicans were going to win, you know, by 50 seats in the House and mm-hmm. at least take maybe win by one or two seats in the Senate. And that's really not what happened. And, you know, I, I think it really just has to do with, you know, and I think there's an elephant in the room. I think this is going to be really interesting to watch how the Republican Party moves forward with or without, you know, former President Donald Trump. And I think that this election is going to be extremely important. This election lay the roadmap for what I believe is going to be one of the most fascinating primaries we've seen since the 2007 Democratic primary between, you know, Clinton, Obama and Edwards. I think what we're about to see on the Republican side between Trump and DeSantis and Haley and Scott and whoever else is going to be in there is going to be fascinating to, to, to form the new shape of the Republican Party. And from a landscape professional perspective, not my own personal, and, and I'm sure there's plenty of professionals out there that have their own personal perspectives. The industry is always going to be better, whether R or D, when they're more centrist and more business focused. And so depending on which side of the, you know, where Republicans go there, is it more of the old guard of that kind of centrist? I I know it's kind of funny to call Mitch McConnell a centrist, but in the current Republican Party, he does look that way. And in the end, that is the party that's going to benefit policies that generally help us more. When I I pay attention to this stuff sort of just from the outside, not not that much, but I was watching the election coverage and I saw an I next to somebody's name and I thought it was a typo. And then I said, oh, wait, there's still independents that were getting votes. Why do you think a third party, especially now where it seems to be polar opposites, are gaining louder voices on both right and left? Why a third party hasn't come to the forefront? Yeah, well, first of all, you're going to get somebody that's frustrated that they lost a primary, right? And somebody that loses a primary and, and and they got enough votes to be a viable candidate, their only other option to run in the general election is to be an independent. But they're generally going to be at a significant financial gap because they're not getting any assistance from their uh, the national or the statewide parties. And so that's that's why sometimes when you see the income, I mean, um, 
the independents, especially when you get to the presidential, let's think Ross Perot, um, they're financially wealthy, so they can bankroll their own election. But I do think you're continuing to see this. We have set up a two-party system, whereas in other countries that have parliaments or, or a modern democracy, you know, you know, think of, um, you know, England and think of Germany or whatnot, they've got five, seven, eight parties. And I do think that there's this desire by some of it. I'm not going to just say younger. I just think there's desire that there's a party that doesn't fully represent them because you have two parties that have cast these such wide tents to try to capture these massive coalitions when in reality, each party probably has two or three independent parties within its own, you know, its right. own faction. Right. And, and I think because of that, you're seeing this move. But because of the way the system's created and because of the way money throws through politics, I don't see it being a viable scenario in the, in the near future, unfortunately. That's a shame, but, you know, it is what it is. So um, where if I'm listening to this podcast, I own a landscaping company or I work in one. How did these elections affect me, good or bad? Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, a couple of things. And, and this is where the me being in D.C. gets a little jaded. <laughs> Understanding that we're about to go into what I will believe, believe will be, like I just said, a really competitive Republican primary. And oh, by the way, there's probably me a Democratic primary, too. Because um, I, I firmly don't believe that uh, President Biden's going to run again. I don't have any insider knowledge. So oh, really? OK. That's just my opinion. OK. But because of this. So just hear me out here, because I know I, I will get back to the original question of how it's going to impact. These primaries in earnest in both the Republican and Democratic Party are already starting. They're just quiet and they're going to get louder and louder. By the time we hit May and June, debates will already start for the primaries. Because of this, and because both the House and the Senate are so closely divided, and we can talk about the House specifically, or we can talk about it individually, it, it leaves a power vacuum for almost nothing to get done over the next two years. So I believe we're going to be in a very status quo uh, situation, which is unfortunate because it means if we can't do something here in the next two weeks on H2B that's significant, we're probably going to be in the same di dynamic we've been the last several years. Where we're fighting for these extra visas and hopefully get them on time. Oh, and by the way, the rule just published. So we are getting all 64,000 and we're going to get them earlier. That's great. And we can talk about that, too. Okay. But but it's frustrating for the farm bill and some of the other stuff where we kind of want to be a little more aggressive. I think the opportunity to be as aggressive as we would like is going to be difficult in the next two years. So um, what where does H2B stand? If you got the 64,000, what does the stagnant state yeah. mean for it? Sure. So this was, as we talked about in the last, you know, we got the maximum amount under the law, which is 64,716. And instead of waiting until, um, until you know, February when the, when the cash been hit and making an announcement in March and then the rule publishes in May, the rule publishes tomorrow, December 15th. We've got an advanced copy of the rule. Um, we will be um, putting out information on what this rule means to you. But it basically means that part of the, that 64,000 is carved out for first half filers. So that's people that had a data need between September 1 and, and uh, March 30th. I think there's about 12,000 for those. And then there's a carve out for people that have an April 1 to a May 15th date of need. And that's about 17,000. And then there's a carve out from May 15th to uh, September 30th, which you would call late season filers, which is like another 10. And then there's the carve out for the Northern Triangle, which could be accessed at any time. And so it's it's kind of complicated, but keep, landscape professionals will have decisions to make on when and how they want to file. Do they want to try to move up and file in this first half cap, say they had a February or March data need? Do they want to sit tight and file normally for April 1? And if they don't get in the lottery, then file for the supplemental? Or 
do they want to move and take their chances and file for May 15th? There's all the options are on the table, um, but it's important the landscape professionals understand that they have to be able to justify their date of need and their seasonality uh, or, or their peak load needs. And so uh, as people get this rule and they get the information that comes out from us, which, which we really try to create a nice detailed summary, I'm happy to answer questions one-on-one, -on -one, but I'm also always advising folks to talk with their attorney or their processing agent. And then what about the farm bill? You had mentioned that, where does that stand? It looks like it's it's going to move forward. There were speculations that it might not pass on time, but every conversation I've had so far is that it's planning to move forward and be passed uh, by this time next year. And so <clears throat> that, the key on that, and here is where one thing I said, it doesn't matter who was in charge or not. The Republicans retaking the House is very good for us and the farm bill dynamic. The Republicans not taking the Senate is harmful to us. And it's because um, with this the, specific bill, with yeah. this specific bill. Yeah, and it's really the dynamics of the players, because you, when you, you talk about the leaders of the House and Senate Ag Committee, and we have a really strong Republican leaders and, and Glenn Thompson in the House, who's been very supportive of all of our issues, and current Chairman Scott for the Democrats has actually been pretty good on some of our issues. But when you move over to the Senate, Senator Stabenow, who's you know a fantastic senator, has not always been great on many of our issues. And so her to have the power that she's going to wield as, as leading the Senate efforts with also, when we were at a 50-50 tie, um, there was a 50-50 tie in all committees, right? But now she's gonna have one more person and that means they can on a partisan line vote, vote almost anything out of committee. Okay, and then recap what, what was in the Farm Bill for anyone who's not familiar with it. Sure, so the Farm Bill is this massive agriculture omnibus that go, passes once every five years. It has everything in it from crop insurance, food stamps, which gets very controversial. Um, all sorts of, like I said, commodity pricing and, and, and stuff like that. But for our industry, it's where a lot of stuff gets done on pesticides and climate change things. It could be very germane to planting more trees or uh, amending FIFRA to make sure, you know, states can't allow localities to ban pesticides and stuff like that. So that's where we're trying to play in that space to strengthen our federal regulatory scheme and stop having some of these fights uh, at the local level. And speaking of the local level, um, where are we at with battery powered um, sort of legislation. I swore I saw another, it was a city or county was looking to ban. Was it Dallas? Yes. Was it Dallas? Yes, it was. It was Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's like Texas. They don't do that in Texas. Oh, uh, hey, when, when I saw it happen in Atlanta, I knew that we had, we mm. were spreading South and Southwest. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think Miami has done something too, just to be clear. And, and Florida has proven to be extremely uh, red in recent yeah. elections. But remember these urban centers always tend to lean blue. Uh, and more progressive. And Dallas is looking to ban the sale, or I, I'm sorry, to ban the use of all gas powered equipment, not just blowers. And I think they were targeting a date of 2027. Now, um, there's several efforts underfoot to convince them not to put a hard line um, and instead incentivize this, um, help provide some tax credits and rebates. And why don't you make city property ban it first? Why don't you make right. people that work for the city or municipalities ban it mm -hmm. first? And then as we go step by step, then maybe we can transition professional. We would then probably push for residential uses. And the last one should be professional uses because we're the business that rely on this equipment. Um, so we're going to continue to push that. And there's also things I think that could be possible um, through the Texas legislature as they come into uh, a session in the next year as well. Are vehicles ever included in these bans? I'm sorry. Are vehicles ever included? Nope. They're always targeting small electric vehicles. Or in California's place, it was single off-road engine equipment, which is SORE, SOAR. Um, yeah, they're they're never dealing with the vehicles. And part of that is 
not to get too wonky on you here, Ryan, but the a state or locality cannot regulate emissions, especially for vehicles, but it also uh-huh. relates to this small equipment. California is the only state that can because they have this special exemption. But the car manufacturers got this put it made all the Clean Air Act federally a federal preemption provision because how does a car manufacture something for 50 different states right Right. and so when these states and and localities put forward their stuff they're theoretically if it is enacted violating federal law and subject to a lawsuit if somebody wants to bring that now that's not something nalp is ever planning to do because we want to embrace this responsible transition but i think people should just be aware that there are legal ramifications for some of these things as well so technically dallas and miami can't do that so, but somebody's got to have standing and bring somebody, the lawsuit and want it and no. want to take it down that path. That is correct, though. That is the way I interpret the law and, and the way many attorneys I've talked to also interpret the law. Hmm. So overall, um, after but, oh, the, oh, Brian, one thing to clarify, because I know this gets confusing. If a locality, though, then ban, say, just bans a leaf blower right. and they're banning it based on nuisance because they're loud and noisy. That's not preempted because a locality okay. has broad discretion to for what would you call police power to regulate a nuisance. Right. But the minute they start saying they're banning it because it's uh, the emissions are poisoning the environment, you then would be federally preempted under the Clean Air Act. So I just want to make sure that's understood. Well, that's the loophole they use, isn't it? Is that it's a noise issue? Correct. That's how okay. some of these are getting through. So then technically a manufacturer could start trying to manufacture gas power that are below a certain noise level, but they're not going to do that. Yeah. I, I okay. can't speak for them, but I'm, my guess is that should right. be said, Brian. It seems like we're down this battery-powered road pretty far, far enough that it, it's 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 happening. Yeah, it's coming, and I think we as an industry need to embrace it. Um, but we need to do it in a responsible manner, and that's been our messaging the whole time. Like, right. And it's also important. A lot of our members have invested in this gas equipment, mm-hmm. and that's not fair for us to rip this stuff out of their hands or make them throw it away and add more trash, by the way, to the environment when they have a serious investment to recoup. And so we want to make sure. The equipment's ready. People are getting investment. Uh, the infrastructure's ready to support it. And so we see that light at the end of the tunnel, but I'm not ready to put a date on it. But we, but I think as an industry, we should be prepared to embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. So for uh, as a small business owner, a landscaper owns a company. How did the what did the election results mean to, to me? Yeah, I think the election should signal to you that we live in a very partisan, divided country that makes it very difficult to accomplish objectives at the federal level. And I know somebody listening to this hates to hear it, and this sounding like a Washington insider trying to, you know, cover my behind when I can't get something done. But the reality is that the way the system is working right now is actually is actually preventing a lot of progress being made because people care more about making sure they're not the loser than trying to figure out how to win. And so it's it's more trying to beat up the other side instead of figuring out a way to come together where we both take wins and both take losses at the same time. The one thing that is interesting, Brian, and and this has, I don't think, been reported as much, but um, since about the mid-2000s, earmarks have been banned in Congress. And earmarks are basically when you as- associate a monetary value to get something else passed. So say you want this person's vote on a bill, and that person has a bridge that needs to be rebuilt in their district, okay? And you go to that person, and you essentially say, we'll make sure... X amount of money is appropriated to fund this project if I get your yes vote. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody hated them because it sounded so inside the baseball and, and dirty and grimy. And I'm not saying it is or it isn't. Right. But guess what? When that happened, more things passed because you could entice people to vote a certain way despite their party block. Right. So 
the Republicans in the House have brought back the ability to put in earmarks. And I'm really curious to see how it actually works for the first time in about two decades. Because hmm. it does seem like they're buying a vote, but it does. Aren't, aren't you technically doing that behind it, the scenes anyways? Most likely. Yes. Right. This is just much more in everybody's face. You know, right. And you can track it at least. Yeah. But it also gives the person that votes it to give him a cover and be like, look at this project I just bought to, brought to our district, even though I right. voted it with the Democrats and I'm a Republican or, you know, right. whatever example it is. Or you said you were going to do this and yeah. I voted for you and you didn't do it. Yeah. Right. OK. So any other key issues uh, this industry should know about? Um, no. I, the only other thing I'd say about the elections, I know we were focused a lot federally. Um, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention because it wasn't as significant a red wave. There were several states that were divided governments, meaning Republicans and Democrats either had a governor or the Senate or the House. Right. But we saw Maryland, Massachusetts, both lose, lose Republican governors. So now now that's a Democratic factor, meaning Democrats control House, Senate and governor. And then in um, Michigan, they flipped both the House and the Senate to Democrat and uh, Governor Whitmer run re-election. So that's all Democrat. And then something similar happened in Minnesota. I say all that because in the past, we've kind of had this firewall in Maryland. Maryland can be very progressive. We've had this firewall in Massachusetts have been very progressive. And Michigan and Minnesota have been states that we haven't had to worry about certain things. You want to talk about places that I'm looking for pesticide bans and gasoelectric bans in the next year? All four of those states are high on my list that we expect to see them along with the usual suspects. So I would just say we need everybody to be hyper vigilant. <clears throat> and this isn't me. I hope everyone said First of all, I think I don't know if people. I am a Democrat and I work for Democrats. So I hope when no. people listen to this, I'm not trying to be partisan. I'm just trying to lay out the dynamics of what party's objectives are. And when you see right. a Democratic um, trifecta, they're generally more prone to putting forward some of these provisions that hurt our industry at times. Because of the speed, you're saying that it's yeah. At? They, they don't have a. There's no backstop, right? There's no Republican right. to veto. There's no Republican governor to veto it, or no Republican Senate to slow play the bill. The Democrats control the chambers. There's there's no one to stop them unless you pick off some Democratic voters to vote against their party, which is what we try to do in these situations, just so you know. Right. OK. So last thing, I'm going to put you on the spot. December 14th, 2022, who will represent the Republicans and the Democrats in the election? All right. So I got two wild scenarios for you. I'll give the the I think the most odds on your betting man, which I think I've told you for I am. I think you're looking for a California versus Florida governor just all-out knockout war between Governor Newsom from California as a Democrat, really? huh. yeah, uh, and DeSantis in or uh, DeSantis in Florida. Yeah. And there was recently a poll. DeSantis has overtaken Trump as the favorite. I saw um, that, yeah. And that's been trending for a few weeks. But I saw, I think I saw one this morning. It, it got wider, like significantly. Yeah. But then I have another theory. This is my out-of-the-box theory. Mm -hmm. If Trump were to win the nomination which I still think is very possible because you only have to win a primary and he holds 30% of that party just lockstep. And you hold right. 30%, you can slowly knock off other people. And so <clears throat> I've long thought the only way that Michelle Obama would ever run for president would be, <laughs> be to defeat uh, President Trump because we know how much the Obamas and Trumps despise each other. <laughs> right. So in my in my reality TV version of prediction, which I think is appropriate with, with President Trump, um, the long shot would be Trump versus Michelle Obama. So you heard it here. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Just out of the box thinking. Every TV network wants that to happen. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. Ratings gold. Yeah. Well, and I think Trump isn't Trump's number going to go up when he announces he's running. Yeah. Don't some. Yeah. Some people assume he's not going to run. 
Yeah. I, he has not had a great couple of weeks. And uh, right. there was an article in The Hill today that was talking about how Mitch McConnell smells blood and he's now openly confronting him. And, you know, right. he kind of has some of the established part of the party. And obviously DeSantis and him are starting to clash. So it'll be interesting to see how the next six months go, because I can't see him dropping out. I don't think he has that um, sort of ego to do that. I think the only way he is out is if he's voted out or can cut some deal with somebody else that he can support and, and make a, a exit that seems more dignified to him. And candidates, when will they when will we expect uh, announcements from candidates? So I was looking back to f- I would expect. I don't expect another one until the first of the year. OK, OK, um, but I do expect a trickle to begin as early as mid to late January, because if I remember correctly, the last cycle, the first debate was in late May or early June. And so okay. if you're going to announce you got to do it by then and you're going to do it a couple months before then because you want to start raising some money. Right. Sure. And a lot of these folks already have exploratory committees and are raising money. But to make it official, that's when you get that boost in, you know, the media business. and that'll right, boost the funds. And so yeah. I expect a plethora to all drop in, especially on the Republican side. We know it's DeSantis. We're pretty sure we're Scott. We're pretty sure Haley. We're sure, pretty sure Josh Hawley. We're pretty sure uh, Ted Cruz. I mean, right there, what, we're already at five, six. Right. So, yeah. Should be fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Angela, have a great uh, holiday and thanks for your time. Yeah, man. Merry Christmas. Happy holiday. And thanks for having me on.